You are listening to the Green Lantern Corecast, episode number 119. This episode, you should see the other guy. Sponsored by GreenlanderCore.com. Um, a lot of people aren't here this week, but we figured we're kind of running a little behind, so we might as well get you going with what we got. Sorry. Um, unfortunately, it is Colton, Brandon, and Eric tonight, but, uh, you know, just eat it. So um, how you guys doing, Brandon, Colton? Oh, fine. Just uh, just hang out. Surviving the heat. Surviving the heat, yeah. So we're going to cover, uh, I guess, all last month's Green Lantern comics, uh, and then we're going to go right into the stuff that just came out. Uh, or, I mean, who knows when this episode is going to come out. But, you know, earlier. <laughs> so um, let's get right into it. Um, let's go straight for uh, uh, Jeff Johns and uh, Hal Jordan, um, or Sinestro, I guess. Greenland number 10, the last part of the Secret of the Indigo Tribe. Jeff Johns writing, Doug Monkey penciling, and 735,000 people inking. Um, what did you think of this issue flat out, Colton? You spoke a little faster. What issue are we talking about? Greenlander number 10. I'm not sure how to take this issue. I mean, I, I, I'm liking the continued plot, but uh, I just think they need to ramp it up a little bit and uh, – Take it to another planet. Just feel like we've uh, been kind of doing this particular part for a little too long, if you know what I mean. Well, this is what part four or five of this is. Of I the, think this is the part of this. It definitely feels like longer, but I believe it is just the fourth part. Just kind of been uh, hanging out with the Indigos a little too long. I think it's kind of saturated the idea for me. For me, it's. Uh, I'll get into the art really quick. I mean, I've always been a very huge, yeah. huge, huge, huge Doug Monkey fan. Um, and there's a couple of bits here where one of the um, um, Justice League of Inkers that is on this issue kind of completely fucks his art. And I was convinced there was a different penciler, like for the big splash page where Sinestro was like fist uh, punching Monk. I guess that's Monk. Um, and, you know, there's a couple pages in the beginning that look like a completely different penciler. So I had to kind of go back and double check the credits and stuff. But, um, you know, there's still a bit of a monkey verve. Uh, it's depressing to think that there is somebody who's going to make Doug Monkey's art look bad, which I thought was impossible, but uh, it is true. Um did y'all you notice that cute trick with the comic? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, we can actually put the blame on one guy, and it's Mark Irwin. Uh, he is the odd man in this list of inkers that's not usually on the book. So, Mark Irwin, uh, it's your fault that Doug <laughs> Monkey doesn't look as great as he usually does. I think. Oh, just, that, that's a bit mean. He, he probably just inked really quick, and he didn't use as thick a brush as a lot of the other guys use. It looks like. Doug Monkey probably uses use a lot of negative space in his pencils, and then he's just kind of like, uh, I'm just going to kind of pencil it over. It looked like one of those, like, happy, nasty jobs. I mean, you know, it's kind of – it's hard to complain, though, because Doug Monkey's art is so intricate and, and really attractive and um, just kind of dynamic for um, – and looks very detailed for a monthly comic. And we run into this issue once every every month. There's one or two pages that look like complete trash and stuff like that. But, you know, this book has been on schedule and on time, so that's kind of, I guess, the uh, – 
that's the pain we have to suffer if we're going to try to get through this kind of thing. But um, yeah, I do want to say that the, you know, I mean, I, I do kind of agree that, that this has kind of run its course, but only because, you know, I mean, who was really that interested in the Indigo's origins in the first place? And the big reveal, I guess, is that they're all convicts that have been brainwashed, um, which I guess Hal Jordan has no problem with. It's very weird that he didn't kind of, you know, say like, uh, that's like wrong. You know, I mean, even if you're brainwashing them to be nicer people and feel bad about what they did, it is kind of brainwashing. And I understand the impetus in the story for him being like, hey, let's get them brainwashed again because they're going to kill us. Um, yeah, exactly. But it also is kind of presumptuous of him to assume they're going to kill him. It mostly seems like they look pissed, they start running, and then Sinestro jumps them. And it's almost like – I mean I'm sure we're supposed to kind of get the sense from their body language and their looks that they're they're going to be hostile. But they look like they were doing all right until Sinestro jumped them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think this issue had a lot less of the ham-handed Jeff Johns emotionism, which is what I'll just call it because it's not a real word, stuff in it, uh, which really benefited the story because it just had – stuff going on and plot happening and um it was nice to see how jordan kind of stand up for something morally at one point and then not do it the next point but there are a few bits where sinestro you know um blows how jordan in his mind you know that sequence where how jordan is like you know something something and sinestro's like that's what you do i fucking love you bro like you know and then (laughs) that really bad sequence where he's like do you think we'll release him if you think you can redeem him and it's like how come that doesn't apply to everybody else? I mean, you know, it's – but whatever. It's also silly because, you know, we don't know the extent of Sinestro's crimes, but if we're just following Jeff John's logic, he's like the worst guy that's ever lived. So whatever. But, you know, whatever. I mean it's hard to tell it. – it's hard to call it like an interesting wrap-up because it really is just kind of an off adventure with that had little consequence. It's frustrating to me that the guy Natromo – Natromo's his name, I believe? Um, Natromo, like – He's like, okay, I have to destroy this battery, and then he destroys it with one blast, and then it takes almost, it takes no convincing whatsoever to tell him to put it back together again. He's like, you know, Hal Jordan's like, come on, put it back together, and then he's like, okay. He's like, well, why should I? He's like, because you should. He's like, you're right. And then he's like, oh, but I can't unless there's a. It just it seemed very kind of like inconvenient. I mean, it's almost like it was a false problem to have him destroy the battery and just put it right back together. Well, he he was convinced by the fact that he was the one chosen by uh everyone's favorite sir. Yeah, which is fine, but it's just it's very it's kind of a it's very like. It's a very flip-floppy position to be on, considering you're the master of this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And how he He's not... also an old man, right? Very big ears. And does he? And he doesn't interact, I guess, with the Indigo guys very often. So it's like, oh, I don't know that you're, I don't know that Evan Sir has been dead for like decades or whatever, but or five years, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it, it's kind of a lackluster effort. I don't, I didn't hate it as much as I hated a lot of other Green Lantern issues. Yeah, this is a better series. Um, I don't really like, again, I've expressed a lot, I don't really like the stories going on so much, I don't really care for it. But, I mean, it's not as poorly written as it used to be. I mean, there's a certain amount of, like, instead of just filling it with these, like I said, emotionisms and Jeff John platitudes, he's actually trying to get some plot in there, and that's cool. And the Black Hand thing is fine if I ever thought Black Hand was a remotely threatening villain. I guess the implication being, you know, he could bring the Blackest Knight back, but I didn't quite understand what he had to do with the Blackest Knight in the first place the first time around, so I don't really know if he's... I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be the tether of a Necron to the physical universe. I guess, right? And then, but then there was all kinds of bullshit he had to do to get Necron over in the first place. So it's kind of well, now, well, now he's dead. So uh, he's kind of a Black Lantern again. That's gonna be a problem. And then there's that thing where it's like, um, you know, the whole business was all like, oh, the Blackest Night was the end of the the end of the prophecy. And then, you know, Hal Jordan's like, oh, that happened. Trump was like, oh, good. That means the other end of the prophecy is about to happen. And I was like, come on, like. That's just lazy writing, but uh, it, it just becomes problematic with uh, the whole uh, black hand thing because you realize at a point that Necron can come back anytime this guy dies. So 
It's just yeah, a ticking time bomb. I guess, which is kind of... Which he's going to die eventually, so that means the universe is going to die eventually. Yeah, so just, eventually, he's going to be so old, you can't bring him back. So it just makes a point... It just makes the point that Necron's uh, defeat in Blackest Night was just as pointless as I insisted it was when it happened, right? Um, Brandon, you haven't said a lot. What do you think of the issue itself, story-wise? I, uh, I pretty much enjoyed it. Um, all the classic Jeff John-isms that people like to call it, um, I, I enjoyed. The Black Hand scene was, was done very, very well. Um, I do agree that he, he isn't very threatening, and it takes away some of it, but I, I think the scene was done very well. I think um, Hal was very heroic uh, in this issue in that, you know, that was a nice change of pace from, you know, the reluctant hero that he tries to be in in certain cases, and I, I I thought it was it was it was pretty fun. My only problem is that I don't necessarily know where they go from here. You know, if if Hal says, yeah, I think Sinestro can be redeemed, then Sinestro's just back on the Green Lantern side, and you know they say, all right, now let's get back to the reason this series started in the first place, and that's attacking the Guardians. I just don't know, you know, what this solved in the long run. Sure. But otherwise, I, I really enjoyed the issue. And we did get a sequence where the Guardians, was that this week or last week, where the Guardians, like, murdered that guy in the library? Was that last issue? That was issue nine. That was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, but all these in, like, a lump. Um, yeah, so I guess that was kind of their explicit evilness, so we know they're kind of already the bad guys. It's just a little frustrating how Jerome's like, the Guardians? It's like, why haven't you guys noticed all the problems that, you know, we've noticed the last yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure at this point that uh that the Guardians are manipulating every single villain and every single uh, Green Lantern comic at this point. Yeah, so let's move on to Green Lantern Corps number 10. Um, this is, as always, written by Peter J. DeMossi. Uh I shouldn't say written, I should say story in words by Peter J. DeMossi. Uh Fernando Passer ends up doing the penciling, it's God Hannah doing the inking. Um, and this is the, I guess, um, I thought it was supposed to be part two of the Alpha, Alpha War, but they decided, I guess, the prelude was part one, I guess. <laughs> so this is part three, but whatever. This is the um, Executioner Songs is the issue where we, we kind of deal with the fallout of Jon Stewart being you know, found guilty and, and, and executed. I think one of the biggest problems with this storyline for me so far is only that um, we, they kind of glossed over the trial. I mean they made a point to say Jon Stewart's like, yes, I did it. This is why I did it. And the Alpha Lanterns say, well, we only have a recording – of like two seconds when it was happening, I guess because the rings had no power. Um, and he's like, so we only have like a little bit of a recording from when it happened. So we kind of don't want to take your word on it. So it seems they're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. And it does seem a little absurd. We discussed it, especially considering what, what's discussed in this issue that we were repeatedly discussed the way Guy Gardner resolved the conflict um, with the two, with mur- murdering the two prisoners that they had. And how that kind of doesn't come into play when they're discussing Lyra, because specifically John says, like, you know, hey, Lyra this, and Guy Gardner's like, no, she murdered a guy who was surrendering, and then burned the body and stuff. And it's like, I don't know why that's better than guys who had already been captured in prison, dragging them out to the middle universe and exploding them and stuff. But So it kind of like, you know, it's one of those things where whatever, and maybe that's why, like we said, the Guardians are like whatever. And there's a few bits in this issue that specifically address a lot of the problems I had with John's reaction to this, like Kurt's family showing up and how his at one point kind of like stereotypically handicapped brother um, is now much younger looking when Fernando Passer and draws him. So it's like, he's no longer a handicapped brother adult. He's just a handicapped brother. That's like, you know, he's like a 13 year old who should who's acting like a four year old and stuff. So he's still handicapped. It's just okay. Cause he's like, now he's younger, I guess. But either way, Passer's art is great. Um, I guess he's always done this, but it's starting to irk me. John, I don't really like the way he draws John Stewart's symbol and the idea of like 
the musculature being so much more pronounced. I feel like every issue, he's just everybody's so much beefier, and the costumes are hugging them so much tighter. But with the coloring on this issue and the art, it makes everything look very detailed and again and impressive for uh, for the uh, monthly book. And this is he's the only guy who draws Guy Gardner's haircut in a tolerable way, so I can't really complain too much. There's a lot of really good bits in this issue. I like you know I like John admitting to the family what happened. I really like that sequence where the guy almost got the ring and thought it was kind of awesome, and then it flew away again. Um, I'm sure that's going to come into play later. Um, I didn't quite understand why the Alpha Lanterns didn't want to execute John in the first place. I guess they just felt guilty about it. Um, but either way, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, guy Gardner helping him escape. You know, it's interesting, I guess. It's kind of like you had to wait for the story to get to this point, and, um, you know, it's kind of like by the books at this point, but it's a little dragged on. I don't know. Um, what did you think, Brandon? I think it was it felt dragged because the dialogue was so heavy and like every yeah. every time someone speaks there's a it's like a giant pair density wall of, of text. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And it just it and it, it didn't provide for great art either. Um Fernando Pastoran has great figures. They just like but when you cram him into four, six, seven panels per page, it, it just does not look good. He's not good with boxing his characters in he needs that big sprawling cinematic ivan race type splash page to or panel to make his artwork look good and and in this issue it's and then last issue as well uh, when he gets crammed into these little panels it, it does not do the art very good and that really brought it down for me um along with the dialogue and i think this really bothered me is when uh when a guy saves John, it's like, what what part of leave me alone don't you understand? That's like, I don't understand why you would destroy the foundation of your core because your friend is dying. Like, I, he's he's at one, at one point you have to say, okay, this is your decision. If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. You know, you just have to do that. It does not make sense for you to go out and get a team of lanterns and blow up the, a big central part of what you do for a living especially when what you do for a living is protect the universe it, it just seems like I get that he's brash and he's slightly impulsive and he's Guy Gardner but it just made no sense for him to just I don't know I have a big big problem for anyone else maybe but for Guy it makes perfect sense Get it why in the but story. He's not alone in this, though. You know, yeah. there's five other Lanterns. I like he, how he, quickly Vath turned around from his position. Like, he was the most, this is fucked up. And then he's like, no, we should smash his icon. Wait, what? Like, And now he's like, yeah, we should rescue John. I, I think I think it's almost way too ob- – I think the, it's almost like the reason Guy Gardner does it is because everyone spends the whole issue going, like, I know you're going to try to rescue Guy Gardner. Don't do it. You know, so it's, it's almost like he has to as a matter of course for his character. But you're right. He's not thinking about the consequences. Well, that might be an interesting bit of drama. I just – I think you're right. It does kind of ring hollow. It just rings like – it is a sort of like why aren't you why, – why didn't you do more during the trial and you know why didn't you investigate more and why did you just sit on your ass and wait for this to kind of blow up and just pick up fights? Exactly. You know? And why do the Alpha Lanterns bother to fight? I mean why not just – flip the switch and turn the rings off like they could in the time. I mean, they do it at the end of the issue, you know, but it's kind of like, why don't they just, you know, do that and stuff? I don't know. And, and I know, I know we got a lot to cover, but, you know, for, for a, a set of books that's ramping up to the older guardians are evil. You just like pretty much major case for them getting rid of you. 
Yeah. Like you're destroying yourself from the inside out, like because you make stupid decisions like this based on emotion, and it it just felt really. really that's stupid. that's the point. They have emotion. That's part of the theme. Of well, what do you? Yeah. So you obviously agree, Colton. What do you think? I mean, I disagree, Colton. What do you think? Well, it, it's very clear. It's very clear that the guardians have just been casually setting things up. I mean, they're trying to play like they, oh, we don't think you should do this, but we won't interrupt you kind of thing. But I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure at this point the Guardians have probably been just weeding footage out so it'll look like that. I guess it's, all- it's true that they do kind of imply, and I don't know if it's this issue or for other issues, they do say something along the lines of like, yeah, I mean, they say to Guy Gardner this issue, we're going to have to weed them out at some point because they're being difficult and we'll have to phase them out sooner than we think, et cetera, et cetera. So it's possible they're manipulating behind the scenes. I just don't think it's very clear. And my biggest problem with this is that the Alpha Lanterns, at least Boudica, got her personality back. And you see that in this issue, and you see the Alpha Lanterns aren't as like utilitarian and like one-minded as they've been before they seem like they have more personalities here but it's weird to me like they don't ever address that like the alpha it's almost like the alpha lanterns were like so steadfast and like we have to execute them and stuff because of how robotic they are and that's like the big problem but they have emotions and Boudica has a personality so it's almost like especially Boudica they spent two or three arcs building her back up from a robot to uh, the person she was and she interacts with Guy in this issue with the implication that like she has a personality and the alpha lanterns the only explanation for them not wanting to execute Stewart is because you know they they have emotions and they don't they, they feel guilty or whatever but why go through, why execute in the first place i mean that a lot of that stuff isn't very clear so it's a lot of the- I, I, honestly i think they just don't want to undermine their own authority by making it look like they're letting someone get away with the crime and making it either look like favoritism or that anyone can just get away with the crime they want to kind of put their foot down and show that they that their authority actually means something because yeah, let's face it somebody. before this point they really never showed much authority or uh Doing much of anything. Yeah, they, and and on top of that is you still have to remember that John deserves to die. You know, at this point he deserves to die. So is it their decision? The, the mass genocide decision. of planets aside. Well, that's something. Like I said, I think it's we can argue back and forth the logic and the character motivations and stuff, and I think we can come up with some good explanations, some really good, interesting ideas about where the characters' heads are at. I just think that should have been on the page a little bit more, especially in absolutely, especially in regards to that's the whole crux of the conflict. And I really want to stay positive this week and not be so ripping this series up and stuff because whatever. I mean, it's just space opera. Who cares? But there's a certain amount of like bringing up topics that you don't want to be brought up and having it be, you know, like, oh, do we really have to talk about this? It's like, yeah, well, don't bring it up. You know, I mean, I remember there was an issue of, well, not to be like get off topic, but there's an issue of Spider-Man recently where he is torturing a bad guy and he mentions, I'll waterboard you if I have to and stuff. And it was one of the things where it's like, you know, it's supposed to be, oh, Spider-Man's getting really hardcore. He's really upset. And then people complain. They're like, oh, Spider-Man would never do that. And, you know, the editing response was like, oh, it's a comic book. Get over it. Like, oh, it's just exaggerating. It's like, well, but why bring up waterboarding if you don't want fans to go like oh my god waterboarding we know that's like a trigger word that's serious like it's a comic is not an excuse for bad writing i mean it's and even if it's not even bad writing because you know is it really that big of a deal that spider-man was like so pissed off that he wanted to torture a guy and didn't it's like or that he almost that he did torture a guy depending on how you read the issue and stuff the the question is how out of character an action is well even it's not even about that it's just about justifying the action in the story and whether or not you think that that's a correct action because i think when you do something like what guy's done and you have two huge uh, double page spreads about the guardians absolving him of guilt for his crimes and and that kind of thing it's almost like and why and then how come guy is so like steadfastly devoted to the guardians and their cause and then as brandon said he's so willing to kind of throw it all away what's, what's he going to do with guy i mean with john escape where are they going to go like what's the argument well, what, they're going to go find kyle and hang out i mean the guardians 
said in front of him, we're going to stand. We don't agree with the Alphalanders, but we're going to stand by what they do. I mean, presumably his idea is we're just going to hope the Guardians agree with us and kind of renege on everything, but that will make them seem fallible. And then it's like it's like this logical circle, uh, the circle circle jerk of logic, and it's circular logic, and it's like, but you know, so where where's where's the thought process? I mean, you're right. You know, you know, you know thinking back, wasn't his new position supposed to be he'd have the highest authority next to the Guardians? Well, so couldn't he just could he just, could he just couldn't he just couldn't he just overthrow the Alpha Lantern's decision? I think that shit is a huge waste of time to even discuss like rankings and it's like, oh, now you're a Sentinel because you were an Honor Guard and you were oh, you were Prime and you were you were, you didn't you were a you were a Lantern that didn't have a sector and then you were an Honor Guard of which there are only four. Oh, and then you were a you know, uh, and now you're a Sentinel. It's like, who? Can, it's just like you can't keep giving him nominal promotions and stuff, and just expect us fans to gobble it up. I mean, you don't have a hierarchy set up, you know, which is fine. I mean, I really shouldn't complain because this is the Alpha Lanterns doing what the Alpha Lanterns should have been doing from the beginning. Um, but it's almost like it brings up as even John and not we're gonna finish up after this. John and Guy having a long discussion about Lyra. It brings up so many topics that are intrinsically we've argued about on the cast like you know just reading the issues that never get brought up in the issues and to say like it's just superhero comics exaggerated just get over it it's silly because why do you keep bringing it up as moral points if you don't want us to discuss them and if you don't want us to discuss them um because you don't want to discuss them then don't bring it up you know whatever i don't know so i mean you know i like it i like where the story's headed uh, and the world building and stuff i just think it needs to be thought about a little bit more intellectually you know and get it really build the world you know I mean, if character oh, I definitely agree. Character A buys an apple and character B buys a grape. Why does one guy like an apple? Why does one like guy like a grape? It's you know you can't you thinking oh we're just politicizing apples and grapes. We're not. You're writing a story. You know whatever. I'm sorry. Um, what do we think about um, New Guardians number ten? Uh, this is I believe the conclusion of Beyond Hope with Tony Bedard writing and Thomas Giarello penciling. I have really liked Thomas Kirkham's art not being featured in the last issue and really liked Tom. Giardello's art in this thing. I don't know if it's just because I was like, you know, didn't does don't really like Kirkham's art, and you know, this is kind of sloppy, but there's a kind of, you know, uh, weight to his figures and inconsistency and stuff. But it reminds me a lot, a lot of like Rick Leonardi and stuff. And the the inker is kind of on top of it to the point where it's like, you know, um, I guess it's who's the inker on this? Is there not an inker? <laughs> um, He's the inker. Because they don't credit an inker unless I unless I'm reading my copy wrong. Um, sometimes digital copies got some weird shit on them, but um anyway, but uh anyway yeah so I like the art a lot better. Um I actually kind of was disappointed in the last issue of this. Oh uh, I guess I wasn't on that because I kind of thought it was very a little I don't know a little generic. The reads show up and they kind of just like start wrecking stuff and I appreciate him giving them personalities. Up. But I kind of like this. I think this is this is kind of space opera action scale um that really helps and it it had some nice kind of badass moments from Kyle and some nice shout outs and stuff and. There's a certain, there's kind of a hole in the story in the middle where Fatality. What badass moment did you see from Kyle? I like when he gets shot to the planet and then he's like, you should see the other guy. I I took that for face value. I was like, yeah, he did fine. So <laughs> surviving is is badass. Well, I like I okay. like his you know the take charge attitude and you know um it's cool. And I, 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 it's kind of funny because when he landed, I all of a sudden I got a little pumped. I was like, oh yeah, they're gonna fight back. But I like that they're like, no, we do have to stop fighting now. It's time to kind of retreat and let the storyline continue. Yeah, that, that, that's Kyle. He's supposed to be right now, even though he's kind of touching a little bit of all the emotions. At his core, he's will, so he's kind of got to think logically, and he realizes they can't win. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the hole in the story is uh, Arkillo, Kyle, and Fatality um, all show up and in the air and. 
at the same time, and Kyle stays behind. He gets shot by the Reach, um, and who knows if that's deliberate because I don't think the Reach really know how the Blue Lanterns work. But he's the one who stays behind. They're all like, what happened to Kyle? And even the people, Fatality and Arkilla show up, they're like, we don't know. And it's like, well, logically, if you think about how this works, you should have gotten Kyle down to the planet. Like, you know, I mean, if you're doing tactical battle and stuff. Um, but, you know, it's not exactly the most tactical battle. I mean, they just kind of stand around the, the battery and fight. But in terms of a big fight issue and space opera and the Reach being a threat, I mean, this kind of worked. And I like them establishing different Reach characters besides just that one dude on the ship that's, like, in charge, you know, Um and, you know, I, I'm not in love with the idea of the weapon or joining the team, but, you know, it's kind of, what are you going to do? Um, what did you think about it, Brandon? Oh, man, I can't believe you like Thomas Giarello. Oh, no, no, You know, no, there no. is definitely a sloppy amateurishness to some of his art. Um, it is terrible. But I I, I just – I kind of like it maybe better than Kirkham, and if this is what I have to accept, I think. But it is maybe. But, yeah. <laughs> his ships look like giant turds. Kyle looks like Fabio. It's, it's not good at all. Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, what about the uh, what about the story? I, I really enjoyed it. I really, really did enjoy it. I thought um, I thought what you considered badass from Kyle was was a little weak, and I thought it placated <laughs> back to or yeah. played back to uh, Kyle can't fight Tony's. Yeah, <laughs> back to back to Tony's. Uh, I hate Kyle. Yeah. Kyle needs to get beat up thing. Yeah. But uh, but it, it was still a fun read. It was a very fun read. I thought Saint Walker. Um, showed why he's been one of the breakout characters in the last six years um you know him standing tall really felt like he was a leader right. more so than just uh ganthet's golden now boy. let's uh, let's be let's be fair though in all fairness the saint walker of the last two issues is a completely different character than no i happen to i mean he's been very brave or whatever but he's also been very passive and he's kind of i think he's written against i, I like him a lot i've kind of liked saint walker or whatever but i think I mean, come on, the idea of him being like, no, we stand and we fight. Like, I've never seen St. Walker act like that. In well, I think part of that is because this is personal. You know, you're not only attacking his people and his planet, but you're attacking the very foundation of who he is now. You're, you know, you're all attacking that he stands hope itself. For, exactly. Like, all that he stands for is in that battery. You know, this world, those birds flying around, those giant forests, like that's St. Walker now. You know, he, if no other, stands for this because because Ganthet's not there. This is all him. So if he doesn't fight, if he doesn't stand up and become this big general type, uh, aggressive A-type personality guy, then who will, you know? And what does that say for his character if he was just... Oh guys, um, we're gonna make it. Just have our hopes there, you know. And it didn't come out as strong and aggressive. Then you look back and say, "Oh my God, Sam Walker's a terribly boring person." Like, where's the drama? Where's the sense of suspense there? And I, th- I think Tony Bedard did a really, really good job in selling that. Um, the stuff with the Reach character didn't really hook me as much, especially you know when, like, we would cut to a a whole entire scene with the guy like where am i don't do this you know it's like really like are you really setting him up to be a supporting character and judging by solicitations yes yes you are doing that and uh this book definitely does not need another character supporting character yeah especially right right especially since we're gonna I think the only thing that brings this issue down is the ending where saint walker grits his teeth and vows to go at the larfleys and i i think the uh 
Tony Bedard was like, oh yeah, let me bring it back to this. When there's no reason he should assume that, you know, yeah. the Reach came here because of Larfleet. Like remember, remember Larfleet was the one person to attack the planet. It, That's it, true. No, but but it's if, also if you're a greedy person like Larfleet, why would you give that information up? Well, they worked out. They do the work for you, and then you take everything. I was on the impression, right, that they worked out the last issue that they they worked out that there's somebody out there who has it against Larfleet. The the Xamarons had worked out that. Okay, this person's either out to get Larfleas or out to kind of make everybody fight each other, and that's why they woke up Invictus and stuff. I was confused about the whole thing in the first place. Like, they Larflees shows up, says I'm the one responsible, but I'm not, and you should go here to figure out why. And he ends up kind of trapping them into fighting this like you know X Men villain, and then um, and then you know they fight him and they lose, and he's like you should go here instead, and then they go there instead. It's like I, I'm not really clear as to why. But it is funny to think about Saint Walker being like, I don't understand what's happening either. Let's just go back to fight Larflees because I did know that we were mad at him about something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Larflees is a dick. Let's kill him anyways. Yeah. So who feels okay, y'all? Okay. Anything else anybody wants to say quick before we move on? I didn't even get um, to talk about the issue, so there's that. The fucking baby, go. Well, one of the things I, I, I really like the issue. I like the characterization. Mentioning on the whole, uh, the whole, the whole uh, reach thing, I think it was a nice touch that the idea that uh, they couldn't fight back through violence at first before Kyle showed up, but what they could do was try to heal them, and they did in fact reach several members of the uh, group. Although of course they weren't able to uh, pull them in before they got, you know, mostly killed. But it was a very nice touch to uh, kind of see like uh, use some psychological advantage on the battlefield and uh, bring them back as they should have been. And uh, I, you mentioned uh, bringing in uh, uh, the Weaponer. I really like the uh, choice of bringing in the Weaponer because when you think about it, he could be the eighth member of the group because he does have that different energy type in because judging by the art and some of the abilities we saw, he still has the White Lantern energy. So that could be a very interesting point to kind of uh, play on, see how that uh, how he can work with the team, you know, since every other member is represented there somewhere. Right. I just, for me, it's like, I don't know, he's, he's kind of a... The team is kind of full of stereotypes and cliches, and now we're like, what don't we have? Oh, we don't have the old warrior who's curmudgeon and, and, you know, criticizes everything everybody does with wry comments and stuff. It's like, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't have that. I mean, Monk was sort of doing that, but, you know, we don't know what we're doing with Monk now, so let's just kind of bring the weapon around. It's almost like Tony Bedard is like, you know, so many of these characters have so much going on in all these other titles. I'm going to slowly weed out the ones that I can't use and don't know what to do with. <laughs> he, he's got to do something. I mean, people keep he's, taking characters from his books. Can we mention that there was no reason why Jeff Johns had to bring Monk back for that arc? Yeah, it was a little weird. And it's the same thing with Bleeze, though, because I'm a little confused about every single issue of Red Lanterns opens with a sequence that seems to be designed to have me be – designed to make me think I just missed an issue. You know, like – and, and, and Bleeze is like the forefront of that. I mean she starts one issue. She's like flying over the – she starts one issue about to swim. Next issue, she starts super intelligent leading a rebellion. Next issue, she starts – Flying above, uh, rescuing Kyle. Uh, next issue she starts and she's beating up Red Lantern for no reason. Next issue she starts, she's kidnapped by the Sapphires and stuff. And we get right onto that now. But yes, definitely a lot of moving around for almost no reason whatsoever. It's kind of a thing. So let's go on to, if you guys don't mind, uh, Red Lanterns. Um, Red Lantern number ten, and I guess we'll just do eleven because we're here already. Uh, I guess this, is this Miguel Sepulveda's first drawn issue of Red Lanterns? It's hard to tell. Yep. Yeah, because he fights Stormwatch and he used to draw Stormwatch. Uh, I'll let you guys go first because I know how I feel about it. Um, uh, Colton, why don't you tell us how you thought, what you thought about Red Lantern number 10? Red Lantern number 10, that issue I can barely remember. All right. I do remember that there was, in fact, a crossover with Stormwatch, a very odd one at that. I mean, he just kind of apparently senses a Red Lantern and rips through the fabric of reality to get to him. I mean, I'm not 
sure how that works. I mean, he just kind of hated his way through existence. I mean, quite literally. It's it's a very weird thing, and it's and for some reason I I maybe I, it's just because I haven't read much of Stormwatch, but uh, they seem to have a weird fascination with thinking like the heroes are even worse than the villains. I don't know why, but I get a I get a very '90s comic vibe from this group. I can't I can't quite say why, but it's just a feeling I have. It's kind of this uh kind of grime and gritty, and oh, we're the only one who's saving the world from the heroes, which I imagine all the characters, even the women, sound like in this comic with that gruff voice. Uh, it, it was okay. I mean, I'm just really confused. I wasn't reading so much at the time. Like I said, I'm, last time I read it was like two or three issues, issue two or three. So uh, going in, I had no idea why this Red Lantern was here or how how uh, Atrocitus just rips through reality. It, it, it's just all very confusing. And then all, all we apparently know is he gets him out, leaves, and then they're like, now we know the, this ring works. We'll figure out the blue, green rings. Ha ha. The end. I okay. guess. All right, Brandon, what did you think about the issue? Uh, I thought it was okay. Um, for I mean, for what it was, which was a really quick, cheap crossover with Stormwatch, I thought it was okay. I thought uh, Miguel Sepulveda really showed off that he can get some really dynamic-looking pages in there with Atrocitus. Um, but for the most part, it did show his limitations, and uh, they are vast. Uh, yes, yeah, like. There, there are some pages where his art just does not work. Um, most of the time, it's when they're just talking heads. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Um, like Colton, I was a, a bit confused with Atrocitus ripping through reality, but I think a lot of that um, goes. No, no, that's a, that's such a Peter Milligan thing, and coming from a guy who's not, you know, knee deep in Red Lantern or Green Lantern mythology, he doesn't know all these things about these characters so he's like all right atrocitus is it's gotta be you know my head honcho he's my lead character um there might be people jumping on to this issue i gotta give him something really cool to do he's gonna rip the reality to find this ship you know and unfortunately it doesn't look that good but uh you know the fact that he did it the fact that he could do it and sense it you know it adds to the character um whether it'll ever be seen again, I highly doubt. But uh, I thought I thought it was a, a nice little trick for uh, Milligan to use. Um, and you know, Dexter gets punched in the face, so that happened. And uh, other than that, it's, 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 it was it felt like what it was, and which was a quick crossover with a bad book um, with not much value to it. Um, there's there's not much added. I will say that Miguel Sepulveda draws a, a very scary looking bleeds, and I appreciated that. But uh, even the ending of this issue, like Colton said, with the Green Ring, it didn't. It felt like it had zero consequence. You know, Green Lantern and Stormwatch aren't going to be crossing over anytime soon, especially with the Third Army event coming up. Uh, it's it feels like a waste of time, a big big waste of time. Yeah, I um I want to agree with you two guys. It definitely seemed very pointless. Um, it's just an issue where Atrocitus shows up, fights Stormwatch, and leaves. Um, and I do think that the idea of him tearing through fabric reality in space was totally random and weird. Um, and I think that's kind of almost the whole point. Uh, maybe this was written when Milligan was kind of on the book of Stormwatch. Is he still on Stormwatch? Um, and it was just the idea of kind of cross-promoting and kind of building the universe a little bit more and, and having to acknowledge how characters like Stormwatch can kind of fly between realities and how the kind of 
completely anti-physics character like Atrocitus and what he can do with like blood prophecies and shit, how that, how that fits. And I think that's kind of like the whole point of the issue, the idea of this kind of infinitely powerful character showing up and how come you can do this shit? And even at one point, the engineer's like, that's literally not possible. Like, and not one of those, like, that's not possible. Dun, dun, dun. It's almost like she's mocking the comic itself. And Milligan's like, well, this is the hand I was dealt to so deal with it. This issue seems mostly to be what I think they should have done years ago, which is finally establishing what the upper limits of power of Atrocitus is, where he fights two Superman level dudes at the same time and he wins, more or less, you know. So, um, and this is supposed to be a weekend Atrocitus, et cetera, and he rips reality and half and stuff. So that was great for that. I think Miguel Sepulveda's art is fantastic. I think. It's a huge mess sometimes, very messy all over the place, but I think that adds a lot to it. I, I think he's drawing some of the best fight scenes in comics right now. I think the way he redesigns – he's the first guy who draws a distinct redesign of Atrocitus that works. He finally explains what those fucking weird panels are inside of his face. He loses the random holes and stuff that Atrocitus has when only the guys who designed Atrocitus draw him, uh, like Philip Tan and Doug Mankey and stuff. But the way he redesigns the actual flesh of the armor is great. I think the way he draws all the other Red Lanterns is great. Um this issue got – I love the way he drew the construct that uh, Rancor or I guess where that Skrillex throws up and stuff, and I thought the fight was pretty good. It took me like at least you know 20 pages of this 21-page issue to realize that it was just a whole fight scene issue and stuff because I thought it was really exciting. And I'm – because of how breezy, entertaining, and kind of like clear the themes were to me and how this seemed like it was actually written by a professional comic book writer named Peter Milligan for the first time in 11 issues of the series. <laughs> I think this is the best issue of the series for me, like in terms of like, I did not dread reading this issue. And I was really excited to pick up 11 thinking like maybe, maybe Miguel like totally ramped up Peter Milligan's like abilities and he can write again. And I was disappointed when I read that issue and stuff, but I thought this was great. I thought this was great. I thought the joke with, with, Dexter was exactly what Stormwatch when Peter Milligan was going to write them should have been. I didn't even realize it was the one punch joke until I read it in the interview. I just thought it was oh, a really it was, bad scene. I didn't think it was like a Guy Gardner reference. I just thought it was funny because it's like he punches the cat out. I think that's just a joke. He's like, I punched out Dexter. And it's like funny because there's this whole bit, you know, where Dexter is like, oh, it's Dexter, it's Dexter. And Peter Milligan, again, referencing the fact that Atrocitus does things that aren't physically capable in a Stormwatch world, references the fact that it's a fucking cat. It's a cat from Earth. Like, how powerful could it be? Like, you know, why wouldn't Midnighter be able to annihilate it, especially the Midnighter in this universe who's done really well against anybody he's fought, you know? Um, Except that we're we're Green Lantern fans, and we're going to come back next month, and we're going to see... Dexter again, and we're gonna remember he got punched he just out. Got knocked well, he, I think they're establishing that Dexter's comic relief and just let it go with that. Um, I love the bits at the end where Rancor throws up on the guy's face. That was an awesome bit of art. I don't really understand what happened with Scalox's hand. Like, he's just got it back. I mean, I saw him no hand, pissed off, doesn't have a ring, should have killed him, and then all of a sudden, Engineer throws him through a door, and that's it, you know, and the end seemed kind of a cop-out where they – it's one of those things where Stormwatch is like, oh, we'll deal with them in the future. It felt very much like that's how a lot of these crossovers used to end, you know, when, like, long-running bad guys who had their own series met long-running good guys who had their own series, and they couldn't defeat the bad guys indefinitely. The bad guy would leave, and the good guy would say something along the lines of, the next time we feed out the fight, we'll defeat him forever. But, you know, with the, the way this DC universe is working and how much they kind of desperately cross issues over every month or so, we could definitely see some payoff with this. And I do appreciate Stormwatch being kind of dragged into the – the Red Lantern universe. And I think I said, the idea, the idea of the issue seemed to be bringing in this kind of ridiculous Red Lantern universe and crossing it over with the Stormwatch universe and stuff. But, um, and this and the next issue are, are some of the best stuff Blees has, has been doing um, and kind of reestablishes Blees as the most interesting character in the series. So let's, if you guys don't mind, let's move on to issue 11. 
Um, Miguel Sepulveda, the second issue. Still some great art. Uh, gives Guy Gardner a bad haircut, and uh, he's completely, for no reason, rude to that guy in the beginning of the issue. Um, Peter Milligan's still writing um, uh, Love and Hate, is the name of the story, Waka Waka, um, and has a character actually, again, just to point out that I think Peter Milligan has accepted his role as the guy whose job it is to ridicule aspects of the DC universe uh, in the Green Lantern mythos. He has, um, you know, the Zilla Zox clone. Um, make a point to say, why don't you guys rescue men? And no one answers him, so it's almost like Peter Milligan's like, I know it's stupid. I don't have anything to say about it, but I know it's stupid, you know? Um, and it's cool to see Fatality and, and Please go at it, because that's that's a good match, you know, a good fight to happen. And it's a little weird that Atrocitus destroys whole planets, you know, um, looking for these guys, and then only thinks after, like, the fourth planet, and after fighting Stormwatch to a standstill, that maybe they'll try the blood prophecy now, and Scalic's like, no, you're too weak now. It's like, probably weren't too weak like half hour ago i'm still not remotely involved in rancor's story because he definitely seems to be almost recognizing he's in a story you know he's like i better go and follow these guys because you know uh, I've, I've got to talk to this guy to start the quest it's like i gotta go with these guys because but the bit where he wakes up and he's in the middle of a starfield and doesn't see anything that's awesome that's great it is awesome. that looked that looked amazing well i don't care how it looks it's obviously a cheap digital effect and stuff it's just the idea of being like yeah if you if you get in a fight in the middle of space off panel and get knocked out off unless i didn't miss an issue of some other series right like this was the total off panel oh like half the issue is off panel yeah and like um if you wake up in the middle of space especially a guy like rancor who doesn't know what's going on you wouldn't be able to find anything and they kind of cop out he just flies until he finds a bunch of dead bodies and he's like i better follow these dead bodies to abysmus and i'm like i don't this literally it's two stories that like you 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 crammed like into a, a bullet mixer, you know, uh, to make sense with each other, and they didn't really work. And now you're pulling them apart in the most egregious way because the idea is like Atrocitus is looking everywhere, every which way but loose to find a business, and Rancor is doing the obvious thing by just following the bodies. I'm 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 stunned why Atrocitus wouldn't have, you know, some kind of <laughs> do that. I mean, but but whatever. I mean, this book this kind of got back to the dull aspects and the dull meandering aspects of the series I haven't liked. And then when Abysmus shows up at the end, presumably now Atrocitus is just vividly dreaming um, when he gets in the fight with Abysmus. That was very confusing. Um, but again, Abysmus is not an interesting character. I don't care about Abysmus. Um, and him showing up with a new stupid-looking form, sorry, Miguel, doesn't really help me care about him any more than he did. And now all of a sudden, you know, Skalix doesn't have his hand anymore and stuff, you know. But the dead bodies are <laughs> Skrillex looked great. Um, some of the fight looked amazing. There's some shots of Lee's where she looks cooler than she's ever looked. Um, and definitely some huge messes. And we actually got to see her without her mask for the first time in ages. Yeah, and, and it, you know, that that was definitely like a total, like, all of a sudden the story twists on, like, the ninth panel on that page and stuff. But it's cool, and I think there's a certain amount of there, – there's definitely a certain amount of deviation from the script to the art, though, because there's definitely sequences where – the characters are narrating in a way that's in order to clarify what's happening to us, the reader, that's very awkward, you know, like where all of a sudden Blee says, fatality, fatality, where are we? You know, and she's basically asking a question that we as the reader know the answer to. You're in a bubble in the same place you just were. And it's almost like, why is Blee's freaking out so much about this? That could have probably been <laughs> better. And just things like that. Like I said, the plural between fatality and Blee's is great. Um, I like the Blee's character, uh, you know, cause she's definitely like, definitely the kind of character that, should be in headlining a series like this. Um, and, you know, I get Miguel's art is just is really, really great. Really, really great. I mean, everything looks like a fucking mess, but, I mean, that really helps the series a lot. And, um, you know, I, I just, I'm, I, I, I like the series like 100% more than I used to like it, but, you know, I still can't get into the story. Sorry. But what did you, um, what did you think, uh, Brandon, you should go? Um, I, thought, I thought the art was really solid. I won't say it's great. Um, 
there there are times there's still times where it, it's really really bad uh like atrocitus face changes like every other panel um but yeah i thought it was it was, it was a really solid story as well um the fight scene with bleeds was interesting because we get to see you know it, it felt like i don't want to say this and offend you or anyone listening but you know when people say a woman's quarrel like a spat you know when you go back and forth you did this and you did this you know when they're fighting you can feel like it's that it's almost Aaron Sorkin like where it's what back 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 this happened to me this happened to you well blah, it's, blah, blah, I'll say it's not exactly like, it's not exactly like Aaron Sorkin because the women are having a conversation of substance as opposed to just talking about like you know like you know their haircuts are freaking out about men or whatever but i do get i do get your argument there's but i feel like that's one of the things i liked about it it definitely seems a bit more like a regular i think the opposite it feels like the kind of fight it feels like a the kind of fight you'd have between two male characters but there definitely seems to be an emotional kind of like i'm trying to reason with you emotionally component that you don't normally get with fights like this yeah I, i think by the end by the end of the spat um fatality was like look we're the same person like I don't know what we're fighting for. I'm trying to save you, and yeah. uh, and 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 I feel like as much credit as I've given Tony Bedard for bringing uh, a random assortment of characters together in New Guardians, I think I should you know give just the amount of credit to Peter Milligan for trying something new um, with each uh, issue. You know, he's given Rancor this this personality, this question questioning personality where he questions every single thing that happens to himself um he's he's uh he he let atrocities rip through through fabric of time and whatever that was um he's given uh fatality this crystal thing where they're able to interact with inside it and i think that's completely new um and and it's it's refreshing because so much uh action over each issue of all four series um just you know happens to be constructs or beams and uh, one-liners back and forth to each other and we don't really get to see the innovation um despite the fact that half of these characters aren't fleshed out so when you know when i get to see fatality's crystal or uh rancor's deep in space um questioning where the hell am i supposed to go from here and uh, or even uh atrocitus is uh what do you got the prophecy killing thing i think like that adds so much more to what i'm reading this month next month i'll think oh is he gonna slash another throat to read a prophecy tell the future uh, is fatality just gonna you know you say f it and encapsulize the crystallize the entire globe and it's like look everybody's gonna be here and we're all gonna be lovey and duffy you know it's, it brings a, a big big uh playground for me for milligan to work with and i think i find that fascinating more than anything sure. um hopefully it'll continue to be as innovative and sure. if the series continues as this issue did then we're on a very very nice try. I think this book and New Guardians are clearly the best of the four. Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah. Different, different. I mean, so, it's, it's it's not like they're great well, that's, books. That, well, that's what I think it is. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that the two writers are working with the concepts of the multicolored cores in a way that we haven't had seen writers do. Unfortunately, like I said, Tony Bedard seems very content with just doing these larger. 
I, I want to say high concept, but they literally don't even have a plot. These kind of plotless, big space stories and just um, kind of peppering it with new information about the rings as he needs the information because he, it's kind of like, oh, good, we finally know what the limit is. Oh, good, we finally know. And Peter Milligan seems to be doing the same, but almost ironically, I mean, like I said, this issue Blees is almost like sort of seducing um, fatality at one point. Um, I don't know if I'd call it like I like I said. I don't I don't really read it as like a traditional like stereotypical woman's fight or whatever. But um, there's a certain element of that, and it's kind of funny because the two of them, fatality doesn't even seem to be trying to make an argument. And I think that has more to do with the fact that the, the limited nature of what their particular power sets represent is kind of like whatever. I mean, fat, you know, uh, Blees has got a point. She's like, hey, Fatality, you were the angriest dude in the world ever, you know, and Fatality's like, yeah, you're right, but now I'm totally all about love. But Fatality doesn't seem to be making an argument. She keeps saying, oh, we, we, we love you, we love you, we love you, even though your actions to betray your words. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like Milligan, I appreciate it because Milligan, again, seems to kind of have a sense of humor about the whole thing. It's like, that's a fucking cat. Like, sorry guys. Like, you know, like I appreciate that, you know, it's a big deal character for y'all, but it's a fucking cat, you know, and, and Atrocitus shouldn't be able to do the ridiculous stuff he does. So fuck it. He can also backhand Superman while ripping reality and happens. And just like I said, yeah, developing the, the limits. I wish this abysmus shit would kind of go away that, cause it definitely seems like a huge detraction from it's ruining the, the book and the Invictus stuff, the same thing. And all of the stuff that doesn't involve just nitty gritty between the cores, which is something I complained about a lot. And I, I, I'm hypocritical for saying, it, cause I really thought that she'd be going out and fighting more crime and stuff. But considering, like you said, the strength of the book or both books is really just establishing and kind of going back and forth to what these characters are with each other and stuff. And I don't think we would really mind if it was, entrenched battlefield books like if both books were really just about all the different colors competing against each other and stuff i mean do that in a large scale because that's what you've sort of promised us since these guys first showed up right the idea of there being this called the war of light or whatever we've never seen it i mean we always just get these skirmishes and stuff so you know but i agree uh colton you didn't get to say anything what did you think about this issue well, I think it, I definitely do think it was a step up. I mean, it was nice to uh, finally see uh, a bit more on uh, all the characters, to see kind of like a, like you mentioned the the limits of their uh, of their representations. I mean, neither love or hate is really going to get them very far, but these are both very far on the spectrum, so they're really kind of driven by them, but they don't really have any answers to that solve their problems. One stuck loving but not getting anything done. The other stuck hating but knowing that hate won't bring her what she wants. It's, it's, it's a very interesting kind of uh, dichotomy they have together, just kind of like uh, intermingling their problems where they both kind of need each other if they want to work through that issue. And, of course, like you said, the abysmus thing, it's kind of run its course. I mean, I, I, I like the ideas of, uh, you know, like uh, dealing with uh, the threat to the core, but the villain itself was not my ideal choice. Although I am interested in the whole thing behind the master, although I'm pretty sure uh, tr- uh, a business's master is just going to turn out to be the Guardians of the Universe again. It's like, yeah, we're killing this core too. I mean, I think at this point they just think that every core is basically theirs. Yeah. That they have to kill off. Well, they, they've, they've kind of been antagonists in the beginning. There definitely seems to be an effort for all the books to kind of round everything under one roof, so to speak, to kind of – mitigate it and there has to be when the third army stuff army stuff happens there has to be some kind of conclusive factor happening with um everybody because they still haven't really clarified where what hap- what's happening with kyle you know because at one point even guy Gardner mentions hey all the earth learners are getting kicked around and stuff and he explicitly doesn't mention kyle even though kyle kind of got the, the worst rap out of anybody you know i mean he fist fought the guardians and was told you're a pariah and never come back and whereas you know did, did the guardians never actually tell 
tell Guy or John this? And even if they did, I mean, I don't know. I believe Kyle and John's uh, Kyle and Guy still own a bar together. I, mean, I believe that. Um, I mean, probably you not. Don't, you don't do a background check? By the way, Kyle has been excommunicated. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you know, obviously these are all kind of happening at different times, but there's a definite effort between certain books to make sure that when Blee's flies away at the end of one book, she, show, she shows up to be in the next book. I mean, we saw in Blue Beetle, which I guess... But not, but not with Tomasi, that's for sure. I guess yeah, well, with Jeff- there's also the thing where Costa has his ring, so maybe guys like... He, he'd be all right. He still got his ring. Well, he still mentions. I mean, I'm just saying he explicitly says, what's the deal with all the Earth Landers? I'm like, oh, finally he's going to talk about his, his old best friend Kyle. And then it's like, nope, doesn't mention him. You know, I mean, it's it's almost like since – You fire Hal, you're like going to ex- execute John and nothing about Kyle. It's like since, you're, since, you're, since the 52 started, it's almost like they're sort of ignoring Kyle, like literally. Like none of the characters are saying anything. And it's, it's probably because, like I said, it must be taking place in some kind of alternate time space. But what is happening? Like what do they think is happening? Like You know what it is? It's they're, – they're... Yeah, that's a good response. Um, I, that's, that's exactly what's happening. Is there yeah. like some kind of like – are they like, oh, Kyle's on a deep mission or, oh, whatever. I mean it, they, why wouldn't they send other guys after him? Like we talked to Tony last year when he was talking about doing stories and we said, oh, hey, have a story where Sinestro goes after Kyle because that's ironic. And he's like, that's a great idea. I'm going to pitch him and stuff. And it's like it's been 11 issues and some nobody's mentioned where's Kyle. I, that's a year of stories and no – I'm pretty sure at this point that was John just like, yeah, no, I've got Sinestro. I just – it's like they know, nobody said where's Kyle in a whole year. You know, it's a little funny. Maybe – Maybe they're just wonder. They're waiting on that opportunity to say, "Kyle, what are you doing? Why are you with those people?" The, 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 he'll just show up at the third army story. It's like, "Oh, hey, Kyle, how's your day been?" I mean, why hasn't Kyle contact any of the other Green Lanterns? I mean, have they cut off his communication because his ring still works? So I just it, it, it's very, it's very it weird. Make sense. It's very, he, it's very he, with his with his with his emotional thing. He can kind of tap into the other rings, but we've never seen him tap into the uh, the, the actual lanterns itself. I mean, did did, did the guardians lock him out of the, uh, the 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 central computer or whatever, but not give take away any of his powers? It's hard. I mean, we can talk about it really briefly, but they did kind of announce the blurb for the third. Now, like they're doing solicits for the third army war stuff, and they're kind of pointedly leaving out Aldrin and Sinestro um, from the blurbs, and they are mentioning that this Colorado thing, like the idea of him becoming Voltron and shit, is going to come to a head um, at some point, and that's going to be relevant um, in his title at least. So, I mean, maybe we'll see something there. It just seems like I would just hate it if there was just a thing where they're like, oh yeah, and Kyle, remember when he was excommunicated last year? It's like he's your best friend. You didn't mention it all year. But let's move on to the last issue, if you guys don't mind. Earth. Earth 2, number 3, um, which I guess is a title Brandon's been waiting for for quite a while, um, an Alan Scott that he could read. Um, and this is, I guess, the mostly an origin of Alan Scott issue. The issue starts with Jay Garrett kind of getting a rough time with Hawkgirl. And, you know, since this is a Green Lantern cast, I'm sure we all pay a little bit more attention to how the Alan Scott shit. I do want to say flat out, first thing I'm going to say, has costume looked better in all the promo material in the covers because I guess it was covered in fire. Now it looks like a half-ass costume. Oh, I disagree completely. It's really half-ass costume. It's like not. To, it's like he stopped. Oh, I really so, think it's the opposite. Yeah, well, look. I hate it. It's a full-ass costume. It just looks like he looks like he started putting on the Alex Ross. It looks like he started putting on the Alex Ross Keenan Cunn design that everybody likes, and then he just was like, um, this is heavy, so he didn't put the rest of it on. And like capeless, uh, not to be like that guy, he probably could use a cape. I mean, you know, maybe do a cool new fire cape or something, but. You could probably use a cape, bro. He could probably make a cape if he wanted to. Oh, what did you think? You about know what they say about capes? Oh, they're, they're no. they get you killed. Yeah, oh. you'll, once you read Batman Earth One, you'll uh, you might have a different opinion of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Colton, what did you think of the issue? 
Oh, I, I rather enjoyed it. I, I'm liking that they're really building up uh, Alan Scott because uh, I've wanted for a long time, like not just uh, like in the old JSA days where we'd at least have a, a JSA comic with all the old guys. The whole time I was thinking, like, I would love a Jay Garrick and uh, Alan Scott ongoing. And while this is not quite that, it's it's nice to finally get back to Alan Scott because I feel like it's been a long time. I mean, I like how they give him back. His, uh, he finally gets his powers. I mean, I thought the suit was fine. I mean, there could be a little bit more to it, but we'll see if it's just uh, an artist thing or not. And uh, I like how they build up that uh, that his his cop his opposite the uh, the gray to his green is in fact Solomon Grundy. Yeah, I, I like Solomon Grundy's a villain. Yeah, it yeah. felt a little too much like the the animal man's well, thing. It's deliberate like that because I think that the, even the text bubbles are the same, and I think it's supposed to be like that and he makes a point to mention the green and stuff like that and i kind of liked it because i spent the whole issue being like all right they're gonna reveal who this bad guy is at the end and i wasn't spoiled who it is as much as he has a stupid like i hate to be pop culturally but like a 50 shades of gray outfit on and stuff like you know um the leather butcher murder outfit sex outfit you know i think it is cool that it's kind of someone grinning i mean it's a completely different power set for the guy but um and it's definitely just what like, is he wearing it's a it's a, it's a it's a you know a leather sex meat outfit you but, know why who knows I, I guess i guess the first body he found was a bondage guy who knows why <laughs> you know like or like yeah a butcher who's just like really really liked his job you know like <laughs> i mean it's a problem is the issue ends on a cliffhanger of this is a revelation of who this new character is and you know with the title earth 2 and with the kind of unclarity lack of clarity to like new readers and so this is not exa- i mean this should be a really new new reader friendly book and it might be kind of a cheat to be like oh don't end it with a reference to a character that we all know and stuff like that but in all fairness back in the day when they introduced new villains they used to do that like the last page you know spider-man would get knocked out and he'd look up and the last page would be like i'm the cyclone and, ha, ha, and i'm like i don't know what the fuck that is that's not a cliffhanger you know but like either way um uh i i like there's aspects of the issue i liked i like you know completely different you know, it's the green. It's the it's this universe's version of the green that gives Alan Scott his powers. And as much as I don't love that whole thing over in Swamp Thing, because it's very general, and this is all also general, and it's it's even frustrating how Alan Scott deliberately asks the green questions about what will be happening later in his storyline. Like, you know, hey, are you gonna ever do flashbacks to other guys who will do the green? And he's like, I sure will. Dies. You know, like. Would you really not ask if you were Alan Scott? No, I'm not. No. Not, he, not what ask. he should be asking is, where's the body of my boyfriend? Where's my boyfriend? How do I use this power? What are my limits? Like, what can you give me a more explicit example of what I'm supposed to be doing? Why would you be able to save my life and give me an unending series of powers and answer a very a lot of questions very specifically but not answer exactly what i'm looking to fight i would not be worrying too much about if there were other i mean i would be like are there is there anybody else like me and she's like you know oh uh no and he's like well has there been she's like yeah sure why not you know but she doesn't she's just cryptic for no reason it's it's almost like she knows she's in a story and has to give him a certain information and so does he and so that's kind of uh, ugly writing and etc but i mean i like that as i like the aspect of it i think um the fridging of the boyfriend, so to speak, didn't bother me as much. Alan takes it a little easier than maybe a regular human being should, but I like the idea of turning the wedding ring into the Green Lantern ring. There's a certain amount of, like, if it was me, I would want the ring to stay the way it was because of sentimentality, but there's, you know, it's kind of this awesome idea that now, you know, Alan Scott's gay wedding ring is his Green Lantern ring, so that's fantastic. Um, but it's just, it's a very emotional way to kind of reinterpret the mythos or whatever, and this is kind of like what this particular title is exactly what the whole reboot should have been i mean you know uh just completely taking every aspect of the title of 
the series and just ultimizing it, like doing Ultimate Spider-Man, saying what works, what doesn't work, how can we repurpose it in modern context, how can we make it interesting, how can we justify a ring, how can we justify green energy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I even liked the Jay Garrick and uh, Hawkgirl sequence in this issue. I think it was hilarious when he throws dirt in her face and she's like, sigh, and he's like, oh, come on, that's hilarious, come on. I mean, you know, uh, I, I this is uh, James Robinson in this issue, again, wildly veers from completely obvious overwritten dialogue to downright hilarious, wonderful character building dialogue in the same like two pages and stuff like that. So I can't, I mean, this is one of the better books that um, this is putting out. And, you know, for a while we were doing a podcast to cover every single issue of this series and we had to give up on it because it's kind of numbing, but this is definitely one of the only DC comics that I'm going to stick around to. And I really liked it. I think, um, you know, even for the faults and even for the kind of dullness of the issue in and of itself, um, I kind of liked it. And I wasn't really loving Nicholas Scott's art. I think, as Colton kind of suggested, there's a certain amount of kind of disproportionateness with the armor that I think a, a different artist could have made look cooler. Um, and the colorist works his ass off to make it cool. And there's certain storytelling that I don't like. I don't like in the, you know, when Hawkgirl mentions Jake's face, she says, you've got this look on your face that's specific. You have a dopey look on your face. And we don't see his face dopey look. We see like a really small, overly digitized colored version. And then we see the, the profile, which doesn't look particularly dopey. You know, so it's like it's a really good opportunity there for some good cartooning, you know, because it made me go back and look at the other panel to be like, did I miss the dope? Oh, I didn't. Oh, well, that would have been cool if it was dopey, you know, like uh, some, I mean, that kind of little stuff really helps in comics, you know, so. Well, she's never been good at that. That's just. And maybe why that's fair, but I just want to say really quick and then I'll let you guys go on. It's also like it, it jumps right over an explanation as to why he's called Green Lantern. Like it goes out of its way to bend over backwards to justify every other aspect of his character and powers and power set and delineate why he's a different character than Hal Jordan, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't actually say why he's called Green Lantern. That's a little, little, you know, a little kind of whatever. And I think the actual title of the story being Jade Knight is a little stupid i mean it's just stupid it's very obvious it's like a story about batman you know being called good detective you know it's like okay fine you know but whatever um brandon what'd you think i thought no i didn't like this issue at all i thought the jay garrick and uh hot girl thing was really really boring i just thought and the alan scott stuff just he was asking all the wrong questions i kept thinking when are you going to ask about your boyfriend? Why can't you heal your boyfriend? Why don't you go find the body of your boyfriend? Other people are alive. Why don't you check and see if that green thing was lying? Like, nothing about that conversation interests me. It is pretty you know? random that, like, it looks like they're all dead. And then, like, the second to last page, he's like, no, people are alive and I'm saving them. And I'm like, oh, that seems well, like I assume maybe the train crashed near people. No, those are just people. I thought those were people that were supposed no, to. No, those people are like, what is that? Oh, my God. Is he going to save us, help us, you know? And it's like, like, like this is the person you're going to marry 10 seconds ago. He and now he's the furthest thing from your mind. He definitely takes it really easy, but I like I like kind of the idea of not making it as hysterical and like Spider-Man chest beating, you know, oh, my God, Alex is in the fridge. I better electrocute somebody kind of a thing. Um I, I don't know. I like the subtlety of it, though. You're right. It does kind of come across as he doesn't really give that much of a shit. But yeah. Well, he he does know that this is all for for his boyfriend when he saves these people. That's but, a, oh, and this, so, this he, he's even so, he's even somberly sitting next to a body bag. I think he found him. Yeah, later. I is mean, that what that was? Yeah, it just looked like that black. Was, it's a it's a pile of body bags. Oh, that, I assume that's one. supposed to be that's that's where Sam is. So that's I mean I I thought that was explicit. Yeah, that that's Sam. But that's yeah, it's a nice character moment. 
Um, and it's interesting because this whole series is kind of blazing right through that sort of thing. But it's, I don't know. Well, it's, it, it, it's kind of got to it's, it's It's an entire book about one world and it's doing world building. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not too different for me from the Batman offhanded speech to his daughter when he blew up kind of a thing, even though that was definitely a little bit more emotional. Just the idea of it being kind of so offhandedly, yes, this is a major moment. I don't know. I, I didn't really mind it, but I do see where the problem would be. James, James Robinson is probably the most inconsistent writer in the history of comics. Because he's wrote some of the best comics and yet some of the worst as well? It, it, like, Literally his the swings are so... Yeah, he's got know, it, Same issue, they're terrible. They're giant. They're insanely giant swings. I, at least this one's one of the better ones. And he also writes things like Shade, you know, which... I disagree. Has, which um, Shade, which has like yeah. six bad pages, six, six, six atrocious pages per issue. But is unlike any series you've ever read in your whole life. And the same thing with like Starman and other. It's like you've never even his Justice League run, which was maligned, and it should have been maligned. It was pretty stupid. We made fun of a lot on the show. But there's some stuff in there that you're like, no one is. I've literally never, never seen anyone write that before. That's awesome, you know. But it's also complete garbage. So like, what are you gonna do? I mean, you're right. He's he's maybe the most inconsistent good writer. I mean, there's some. Inc- I think Jeff Johns is probably the least consistent writer. Well, no, he's consistently bad now, but he used to be really good, great. And terrible, but now he's just kind of mediocre and bad. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I agree with that. I, I just gotta say that I really did enjoy this issue, and I, I'm looking forward to once they finish this first major arc because the point James Robinson made was uh, after they do this initial world building and this first major arc, it'll kind of go to one, one to two issue like a little mini arc to kind of just let each uh, story tell go on its own and not be overdrawn out. Yeah, the Flash did that, and look how good that turned out. Well, I didn't read the Flash, but. Not good. Yeah, the Flash is none of my business anymore. I don't, I don't really yeah, but, that, but that's a completely different writer. So let's. No, but it's it's you know the logic is is I mean I I get the logic of like you are kind of fast forwarding through some stuff, but I mean you know I don't know like I said I think it was you could just say this is how this character I think there, this is the case of like I've had this argument before like why doesn't this character react like this and I've had the bullshit arg- I've had the bullshit argument thrown on my face like well sometimes people just don't get as upset about that stuff and I think this this to me really did read like Alan Scott as a guy who's like okay. I'm together about this. And I think he even says, like, okay, at one point, you know, they, they cut back to him and he's like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm down, you know. <laughs> it, it, he does seem like he's a very different different kind of person from uh, your norm. He's, spo- he's supposed to be like the uh, the, strong, the already strong, uh, together kind of person. He's not uh, the overly emotional type. I, I get that. Well. But he's not really going to destroy himself over it. He's going to try to do uh, Sam Wright. Yeah. I, I think if, if we had gotten some context i mean because we, we keep we keep being told that oh the apocalypse thing was so bad it was so terrible it was devastating like i think they said paris was completely destroyed or something um had we if we got something like oh my grandfather died or my father died in that thing you know then we could see that Alright, Alan has experienced this before, you know, and now we're able to say this is why he's acting this way towards yet another close personal death. But without that, it's just, you know, okay, I'm over it. You know, oh, I was going to marry you? Mm, Now I'm not. Yeah. To me, me, this is worse than fridging because there is no development with Sam. You know, it was just a guy with his hand on his hip, and now it's a guy that doesn't exist. Which is funny, and then it, it's interesting because he does use it again, motivate himself to this, but he accepts the death. And I think there's a certain amount of nobility in being like, all right, he's dead. I mean, if he's dead, 
but I'll honor him my whole life. I mean, I have no problem honoring him my whole life, but he's dead. And I, like I said, I, I, for me, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the kind of slight hand. Maybe it's the kind of the directness of the Alan Scott character. But to me, it read like a legitimately emotion, honestly emotional thing for the guy to do. I mean, you know, it's almost like shouldn't he be even reacting more to this green flame giving him superpowers? Like, why isn't that freaking him out? But he's just not the kind exactly. of guy. But he's again, he's not the kind of guy who freaks out about it. I guess it's the argument, you know. And, and we complain like oh, we ask all these stupid questions, and you know maybe that's and it does again. I think that's the I think James Robinson said, why don't I make a decision about Alan Scott that he's so together that this shit just doesn't freak him out and he just moves on with his life and he's noble about the whole thing. And then he's like, well, then good, then he can ask all these stupid expositional questions that I want people to wonder about for the next however long I'm writing the book. And um, but it, that's again the James Robinson fallback, like great, great ideas, really strong characterization, and then it just kind of falls apart because you're, you're stretching one idea a little too far and you're a little bit too into your own shit. But you know, whatever, I, I like the issue a lot. So a lot better than the second one. Like I kind of like almost was turned off the whole series by Jay Garrick fighting rats in the second one. <laughs> but I hate the costumes. Like you know, I think all the costumes. I was really looking forward. Oh, what do you, what do you, I don't think Hot Girl's that bad. It just looks like it's Hot Girl with silver, and you know, what do you, what do you like about the Alan Scott costume? He's just wearing a green jumpsuit with like big shoulder pads. No, I, I didn't say I like it. I just like it better here than I did in the promo art. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so I guess that's all the issues this week in uh, record time, whatever. But um, any any news you guys want to cover besides, like I said, the kind of announcement of the Third Army, and I think we already knew about the Muslim double gun gun fisting. Uh, Green Lantern they're introducing, uh, which will probably be an unfortunate character choice in the next year, but what are you going to do? Um, anyway. uh, those those uh, fans of Green Lantern, the animated series, uh, can check out La La Land Records' uh, soundtrack that's coming mm-hmm. soon. Oh, cool. Very cool. Huh. Very cool. All right, anything else you guys want to get on? All right, well, I guess you've been listening to the Green Lantern Core cast, sponsored by the GreenLanternCore.com. Um, this has been Eric Hale, guest hosting. Frankie Mateo was not able to make it. Neither were any of the other crumbums. Um, tonight was Brandon and Colton. I guess we can just say goodnight for now, and uh, we'll check you guys whenever the next one is out. Say goodnight, guys. Goodnight, guys. Be sure to check us out at www.thegreenlanterncore.com. You can also email us at contact at thegreenlanterncore.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the GLCore. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash GLSpotlight. You can reach our voicemail line at 313-GL1. 2814. That's 313-451-2814. Thanks for listening and check us out next time and please stop masturbating when I'm talking to you. Be sure to check out Kirby Crackle performers of our opening the Marine Capacity at www.kirbycracklemusic.com Also check out the Roy Clark Method performers of our ending theme sector 2814 at freeweb.com slash Roy Clark Method. magic green it is the color green it can do anything sometimes it speaks to me it says how what